0: And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Luke chapter 24, verse 31. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, please um, bless my words. Please anoint them and make them useful for guiding and strengthening um, your beloved people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today's Gospel, in which we just heard, um, the account of, even though we're reading it three Sundays after Easter, it's narrating what still took place on Easter Sunday, um, as there were two, Cleopas is the only one of them named, Cleopas and his friend, um, walking away from Jerusalem, and Jesus comes alongside them, and they don't know it for the longest time. Um, Emmaus is a good number of miles away from Jerusalem. Um, And then Jesus does reveal himself, and then he vanishes. What we see in this Gospel, as well as just an account of something that happened, um, is a a biblical uh, illumination of our own experience with Jesus. And we see this in the fact that in the ways in which Cleopas and his friend first don't see him, and then do see him. It says in verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So we as the reader know something that they don't, that it is in fact Jesus with them, but their eyes don't see it. And this isn't some uh, party trick. This isn't just sort of something done at random. I want to offer to you that it's connected to their very circumstance. That here they are, this um, band of two, leaving Jerusalem, right? Parting ways with the disciples of Jesus who were still lingering in the city they're very leaving, seems to communicate, we're done with this, we're done. And as they narrate to Jesus, and there's this great kind of almost, almost comic, tragic comic irony. And here they are talking to Jesus about what he did and what he didn't do, right, on the road. They were disappointed that Christ had been killed. So they knew that Jesus had been killed, of course, because they, they saw it. Um, but they don't understand why. And there's this terrible irony in what they say. Um, they crucified him, but we'd hoped he was going to redeem us. Right? They, they, we hope they, they think they haven't been redeemed because they're looking at the wrong oppressor. They were looking at the Roman Empire and saying, there wasn't. where was the like Judas Maccabeus 2.0? Where was the great revolt? Where was the redemption and political overthrow? It didn't happen. He was killed. They were looking at the wrong oppressor, the actual oppressor from whom they were redeemed by Jesus's death, sin and death and the devil. They didn't believe also that the empty tomb meant that Jesus was risen. They had left the band of disciples. They'd stuck with the disciples long enough to hear the women return from the tomb and say that it was empty, to hear um, Peter and John who had also gone and corroborate the witness, yes, it's empty. And they just didn't didn't believe that it, it was meant that Jesus was risen. They were leaving Jerusalem. They were calling it quits. So it seems especially meaningful then that Jesus um, chases them down on foot, literally. As they're wandering away from belief, Jesus chases them down. But they don't know it's him. Their eyes were kept from it. Their eyes were kept until they came to faith. And the means that the risen Jesus used to bring them back to faith in himself is the scriptures which for them was just the Old Testament. And again, it's not that they didn't know the contents of the Old Testament, right? They knew that Jesus has died, but because they didn't understand the why, they didn't have faith. They knew the contents of the Old Testament, but they didn't understand what it was about. They didn't know how to interpret it rightly because they weren't seeing Christ in it. The Old Testament points to Christ in 10,000 ways. But if you don't have faith in the crucified and risen Lord... It's like you can't see them, like the eyes are kept from seeing them. So I want to give just one example. You know, we say in the Nicene Creed, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, on the third day he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. Which is, as you know, your Scriptures, that's lifted right from 1 Corinthians 15, right? Rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. But where does the Bible say that the Christ would be raised on the third day? Where does it say that? Well, if you have eyes to see... In Exodus 19, God promises to show himself in power on Sinai to Israel if they wait till the third day. In Numbers 19, we see God command that if you've come in contact with a dead body, you need to cleanse yourself on the third day and you'll be clean. In Joshua chapter 1, we see that Joshua, or as as the Greeks would say it, Jesus... Joshua led the people into the promised land after the death of Moses on the third day. In 1 Samuel 20, we see David hiding out of sight for three days. In 2 Kings chapter 20, we see the Lord granting health and life to King Hezekiah, and he's directed, as the completion of his healing, to return to the temple on the third day. Jonah was in the belly of the fish and was slapped out after three days. Hosea, prophesying in chapter 6, says, After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up. And if you think us, well, maybe if you just, you know, there's a, Old Testament's big, maybe there's lots of, like, day markers. I did a search, I was like, well, what if it's just a sort of circumstance? If you search fourth day, four days, fifth day, five like there's almost no, there's almost nothing in the scriptures that correspond to the fourth day, the fifth day, except, for of course, the creation account where you get seven days. But um, there's this intentional pinpointing of the third day is when God is cleansing, redemptive work. The life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus are on every page of the Old Testament, but we need the eyes of the Spirit to see it, just like the, those on the road to Emmaus experienced. When Jesus was described, it was guiding them through, teaching them the Old Testament, their hearts burned within them. That's how you know when you're reading the Old Testament right, is when your heart burns within you and the sense of the joy in the Gospel. So the risen Lord Jesus, hidden from their their sight, first brings them the Word, guides them through the Scriptures, and then he brings them the sacrament in unmistakably Eucharistic language. The gospel we just heard read in verse 30. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Compare this to Mark's account of the Last Supper. This is Mark 14, Mark 14 22, straight from the page. He took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. The Lord brings them the word. He brings them the sacrament, and what happens? Immediately, their eyes are opened, and they recognize him. Their eyes have been closed, related to their unbelief. They've been ministered to by word and sacrament, by Christ himself, and then they're opened, and at last they see the risen Jesus, who'd been with them all afternoon, and they just didn't know it. Then they see. It's this sort of glorious... Um, epiphanic moment, this realization, this uncovering, this apocalypse, which then instantly and surprisingly comes to an end. It says, then Jesus vanishes from their sight, which is not what we're expecting in the text, right? As you're reading that story, the first time you hear it, like, okay, and now they get it. Oh, wait, he's gone again? He vanished from their sight. And this last verse that I'm highlighting this morning, it tells us something, um, about the qualities of the supernatural risen body of Jesus, that just as he's able to appear, as he does um, to the disciples in the upper room through a locked door, he's able to disappear, the same body which is then capable of ascending on the 40th day. But it also shows us, um, and here we have an analogy to when um, Mary clings to his feet, and Jesus says, don't cling to me. An analogy to what Jesus is leading his church into, to... Transition from walking by sight, they who've walked with Jesus for three years, to walking by faith, to trusting the presence and the reality of Christ even when they can't see him with their eyes. He vanishes so that they wouldn't cling to sight, but would actually grow into the life we now live in the Spirit in the church, where we walk by faith. Reaffirming the same truth we heard in last week's Gospel, when Jesus says to Thomas, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus is transitioning the disciples from seeing to not seeing in their life with him. But I want to offer that there's even one further lesson in Jesus' vanishing. The fact that sometimes, just as in our lives, sometimes Christ gives us an awareness of his presence. And sometimes we don't have that awareness. Sometimes he takes it away. And it's not caprice or coldness. We know fundamentally the character of God that he is neither capricious nor cold. He's our loving father. So it sort of forces us to do critical thinking work. Like, why would God do this? Why doesn't he just keep showing himself with this sort of endless sequence of like emanating epiphanies? Well, first of all, that is heaven, by the way. Just this endless, God is infinite. So the, the knowledge of him can grow infinitely. And we will, it will be this blessed sequence of unending revelation But in this life, why does he take a sense of his presence away? Why does he vanish after having been recognized? Um, The answer that the great uh, spiritual masters of the past have come up with, and I think is right, is that he's doing it as a way of strengthening our faith in what is unseen. It's the loving Father's way with resistance training of making us stronger. Here, um, the words of a holy bishop who lived a century ago, Really, really struck me and shine light on this reality of Jesus is vanishing sometimes. And this is from Bishop McLaren. Because the Holy Spirit often withdraws consolation and sweetness in order to develop the graces of naked faith and blind perseverance. In such a case, the absence of sensible emotion, emotion that you can feel betokens the nearer approach of the refiner of souls. He would teach the soul to prefer him to his gifts. Maybe that last sentence again, because it's very, very deep. In such a case, the absence of sensible emotion betokens the nearer approach of the refiner of souls. He would teach the soul to prefer him to his gifts. So glory to Christ this morning. Glory to Christ who seeks us out when we wander. He chased down Cleopas and his friend as they were going away. Glory to Christ who interprets his word to us. That when we understand the scriptures, in this, there is sweetness and understanding when we read them or hear them on a Sunday morning or whenever. Glory to him who is interpreting his word to us. Glory to him who gives us his body with the bread. Glory to him who sometimes lets us and I'm using this word metaphorically, but sometimes let us see him. Let us have a sense that, oh yes, this is Jesus and he is near. And also glory to him when we don't have a sense that he's near. When we know that he's near. We have faith that he is near. That he is always good to his word. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But we can't feel it or sense it. And there isn't the sweetness. Glory to him in that hour. Amen.